Well, good morning, everybody. Praise the Lord, as was we just said, for that sunshine. It is amazing to, to be here and to have the sun shine down on us. And really, it's supposed to be a reminder of the light of God. Um, well, if you have your Bibles with you, we'll be in Galatians chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 23 uh, through 4. Seven, before I get started and give a little bit of an introduction to this sermon, um, I'd like to ask the Lord's blessing. Father, your words are life. They are a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. They reveal you in all your glory, in all your splendor, in all your majesty. But we cannot hear your words without your Spirit. So we're asking that you send your Spirit and make your words be those things which we cling to and delight in. Bless us and give us your Spirit so that we might see and know that you are God. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'd like with, for you to think with me for a little bit um, and before I get into the text, I'll read that a little bit later. But I'd like to, to, to frame what we're looking at today for you. So it'll be a little bit longer, so bear with me. I want you to think about our culture. The media and the advertisers are trying to tell you and me who you are. We have been relentlessly marketed since the day that we were born. People seek to form others in their image in order to make money off of them. They sell us an identity, who we should be. And then they create anxiety in us because we don't measure up. And then they sell us a product to take it away. Right? Companies that sell products, they try to make us find our identity in their product. Right? They show a person without this product as plain and empty. Right? Whether that be for makeup or for clothing or whatever the case may be. And they show them um, that without that product... They are just dull and lifeless. And then they get the product and smiles abound and life is good and birds are singing and everything is wonderful. They have try just tried to sell us an identity. To sell us on who we should be. They have shown that their product will, will without their product, that we will be plain, we will be ordinary, we will be miserable, and we will not measure up to the particular identity that they are selling, and they speak to you and I every single day. Here's my question. Are you listening to them? Do you even know whether you're listening to them? Voices. Voices. They're everywhere. How many voices did you hear this week? Do you know? You may have heard these voices coming from the outside at you. 
You may have heard these voices coming from the inside to you. And those voices tell you who you are. They tell you who you aren't. They tell you who you should be. They tell you who you shouldn't be. They tell you how you've failed. They tell you how you've succeeded. They tell you what you should be doing. They tell you things that you want to hear and things you don't want to hear. There was a famous musician recently spoke some words that resonate with many today. And she said, don't you ever let a soul in the world tell you that you can't be exactly who you are. And this idea has been the battle cry of the current and upcoming generation. But there's one problem with this. Well, there's other problems, but one I see. We weren't made this way. We weren't made for ourselves to answer the question, who am I? We were designed for another person to tell us who we are. A person who has absolute and ultimate authority because otherwise what you hear you can't be sure of in a music video from a different set of musicians they flash text that they pulled from comments from fans and haters as they were singing their song words and phrases like i don't matter loser idiot stupid fraud fake poser lame annoying all these words that they got on their twitter feeds and everything else and these words were written on their faces they were written on their neck they were written on their arms and suddenly the song transitions and they start wiping the words off of them that were in like a charcoal thing or whatever and they 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 the lyrics change and say every moment crowded with choices speak to me and drown out the voices who needs to speak though to drown out the voices who has authority to speak to drown out the voices and these voices that you're hearing maybe words like the ones above you might hear those kids at school you might hear those from your friends. You all might hear them from your coworkers. In terrible, oftentimes you can even hear these things from your families in different ways. Do you know who you are? Who are you allowing to speak to you? And if we're speaking to ourselves or we're letting anyone else other than God speak to us and tell us who we are, we're going to have big problems we won't ever be able to meet our own expectations. Do you know that? You know you can't meet your own expectations? And you can't meet others' expectations. And so you need another voice. I need another voice. But what if there was someone who knows exactly who you are? What if there's somebody who simply loves you and wants to tell you who you are? Not to make money off you or to take advantage of you, but to help you. To help you live a life where you can thrive. To help you live a life where you can be fully and truly alive. Where you can be the tree planted by the streams of water that brings forth its fruit at the right time. And who has roots that go deep down into the living waters of Christ.
by the life, death, and burial, by the resurrection and ascension of Christ, and the fact of our union with him, by being clothed in him, we now can know who we are, our true identity, because the Holy Spirit in you tells you who you are. And that is what we're going to look at today. Listen to his voice. Beginning in verse 23. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming would be of coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. For if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. I mean that, as, that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God is forever. Amen? The church at Galatia was going through an identity crisis. It was made up of both Jews and Gentiles, and they were worshiping together, they were doing life together, but a satanic idea came up that made them forget who they were. They thought that there was one way to be a real Christian. It wasn't just faith in Christ alone, by grace alone. You needed to do something more, they said. If you were a Gentile, you needed to convert to Judaism. You needed to follow the Jewish law. You needed to stop eating bacon and shrimp, right? You needed to follow all the 600 plus laws of the Old Testament. If you did this, then you'd be acceptable. Then you could be a part of the true Christian community. Then you could be sure your identity is right as a Christian. So the church in Galatia, which had once had its identity in Christ by faith, began to find its identity in obedience to the law. Suddenly the church was divided. Their unity was shattered. Their peace was gone. And so Paul tells them that he knows what happened to them. They forgot who they were. Paul reminds them of their identity. It's not in what you do or even in who you are. It is in whose you are. So the question 
Will you listen to what God is saying about whose you are is the one I pose to you today. Are you going to listen to what God says in Galatians chapter 3.23 to 4.7 about what God says about you? Or are you going to continue to listen to the voices of your friends, of your family, of your neighbors, of your co-workers, of your enemies, of the world, of corporations? Or are you going to listen to what the Holy Spirit, the one who gives us life in Christ, says? I want us to look at Galatians 3, 23 to 4, 7 and see what God, the only one who actually has authority to tell you who you are, has to say to you. And I want you to get out of your gospel amnesia. I want you to stop forgetting who you are. I want you to remember whose you are each and every day so that you live in the joy and the light and the life of the gospel. But in order to figure out where we are, we kind of need a reminder of who we are, right? And really, actually, we need to be reminded of who we were. And that's seen in Galatians 3, 23 to 25. So Paul reminds us, he says to the Galatians that before they came to trust in Christ for thy salvation, they were prisoners. You were prisoners. You were slaves. They were held captive under the law, it says. Verse 10, if you look back in Galatians chapter 3, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. See, this is the same thing that we do. We rely upon our morality. We reply on, rely on our religiosity. Or we rely on a myriad other things for our identity. The problem is that if we rely upon ourselves to define our identity, we are cursed and not blessed. That's what Paul's getting at. If you relied on these laws, you're cursed. You're, the law curses you. Because you... The law, as a law of works, tells you, the, it, basically all it can tell you is you've failed, right? Or you've done well, right? The law of faith and the law of Christ tells you that now, who, now because of who you are completely changed, you can live the life of obedience because of who you are, right? So when I talk about these things, I want to be very careful that you understand I'm not saying that we are not to obey God. Paul will get to that later in Galatians, right? But the reality is, is what we are saying is, is that the law of works, the law within you, can only condemn. The law of Christ, which is your union with him, says you can now obey. All right. So Paul tells us then in Galatians verse 11, actually, chapter 3, that we were condemned instead of being justified. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. So what will happen to those who rely upon their works? Well, instead of God declaring them as righteous or perfect because of the righteousness of Christ, they will stand before him in their own righteousness, in their own identity. You see? You have a choice. An identity in Christ or an identity that you create. And if you stand in the identity that you create and not in Christ, you will be condemned. Because you can't even meet up to your expectations of that identity. 
Okay, so the law, though, Paul, Paul says, he goes on here, what will happen to those, basically? They'll be judged by their own identity, and that's not going to turn out well. The law, Paul goes on, though, basically is in, 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 in this next verse in, 20, in, in 23, 24, he doesn't say that the law is bad. It's actually good. It has three uses. Okay? But today we're going to look at two uses. The first one is like a guardian. Okay? Or, a, or basically it was a slave who was responsible for training a child. Right? So there was people who would work and they had a slave and that slave basically was like a tutor who taught the child. And that's what Paul's using as this imagery here in Paul's time. So he was basically saying that this, this slave who was basically the tutor of the child would point out and punish the misbehavior of the child to try to help that child come in to become a responsible adult. It's the same thing we do as parents, right? We point out things, we teach our children, we say, don't do that. If you do that, it's bad. It's good things, bad things are going to happen, right? We teach them those things. And so they would punish that behavior, and what that would happen is they would curb, it would curb sin. Bad things happen to me if I don't clean my room. So what should I do? Clean my room, right, kids? That, 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 right? So the punishment that comes from that is for you to be motivated to not do those bad things, right? So that's to curb sin. Children, honor your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Clean your room. Honor the parents and the Lord. Children, obey your parents. Okay, we're clear on that. Okay. Sorry, kids. It's just a reality. Adults have to do it too. We go to work, right? We go to work. And our boss tells us what to do. Do you know that, kids? They tell us what to do. We can say no, but then you don't eat. (laughs) Right? That's the consequences, right? So there are natural consequences. So we obey and we do these things of love, you know, not to earn our our parents' favor or love, but we obey them because we love them, right? That's that. So, but, but consequences are because we don't really love them all the way right all the time. So we need to be reminded. Okay, that, does that make sense? So, so the, the fear of punishment puts our sinful nature into check. Okay? The problem is that it can't stop sin in the heart. Like, that sort of, if you do this, bad things happen, it doesn't start stop the problem in your heart. The problem in your heart still exists. It just keeps you from seriously damaging yourself or others. Right? That's what, how we have laws to not murder. Because if we didn't, like, you got, your house would be gone. Tonight, they'd kill you and take your home, and they'd have everything, right? It would be a chaos, and the world would be a terrible, horrible place. So we have laws put in place to prevent that. But like a guardian, it would show the child the ideal way of living and where the child would fall short. And so the second use of the law shows what our heart and life should be. It's like a mirror. So the law shows us as a mirror who we really are. So we look at ourselves, and we're like... Eee, did I do that? Yikes. I'm not a very good person, right? So that, that sort of thing. Now let's look at uh, verses 25 to 29, the reality of who we are. The reality of who we are. So now that we know who we were, we were slaves under a guardian, told we had to do this and tried to just keep us in check, Paul helps us see who we are in Christ. He shows us that we are no longer in need of a guardian. Now faith in Christ has come, he said. And so we've put all of our faith in Christ and all of our trust in Christ. And because of this, we are all, all of us, sons and daughters of God through faith. We are 
in Christ, or we are united to Jesus Christ. So because of our union with Christ that was demonstrated by our baptism into Christ, we have died with Christ when Christ died, and we are risen with Christ when Christ was made alive, we have put on Christ. Quite literally, in the original language, it's talking about we have put on Christ like a coat, like a garment. Like a garment, okay? He clothes us. In other words, just like we have clothes to cover us, to protect us from the cold, from the wind, from shame, from nakedness, we have Christ to protect us from others and from ourselves. We've put on Christ. He takes away our shame. He takes away our guilt. And when God looks at us, he doesn't see our plain body with its defects and flaws. He sees the garment. Christ. He sees the perfection of Christ when he looks at you. If you're in Christ, that's your identity. That perfection, Christ's absolute perfection, is yours, is mine. But the reality is, is that it is not just ours as individuals. It is ours corporately. We have put on Christ as a garment. Because we are all united to Christ, our identities are not found in what others say about us. We aren't defined by our racial or ethnic distinctions. There's no more Jew and Greek. We aren't defined by our economic or our class distinctions. There's no more slave or free. We aren't defined by our sexual distinctions. There is no more male and female or female. But we are one in Christ. You are not seen by the external but the reality of who you are on the inside because you have died and you are now alive, resurrected. And the reality is, is, is that you have never been more alive than you are right now in your spirit. A resurrection, you know, you're not half alive. You know that, right? In your spirit, you're not half alive. Sin clings to us, but you are fully alive in Christ Jesus, which is why Paul talks like this. So you're not half dead. Or half alive. You're fully and completely alive in Christ Jesus. And what does this mean? Well, look, when I was in grade school, I went to Christian school. In that school, we had to wear school uniforms. I had to wear a nice little clip-on ACE tie. Do you know what school uniforms do? They level. They level. When you go to school, you can't tell who's rich or poor. Right? Right? You can't tell who's smart or not smart when you look at them and they're all around the playground. You can't tell who's from this area and who's from that area. The uniforms level all stuff out. Why? Because the, lev the uniform gives us a new identity. Right? I think that's what Paul's saying in these verses. You have all been baptized. You are all united to Christ. You've put Christ on like a school uniform. Number one, 
You are no longer defined by what the world says about you. You are no longer defined by what the world thinks that you should be. You are no longer defined by their picture of beauty. You are not defined by their picture of strength. You know, as an aside, what I hate more than anything else is when the world and the culture defines maleness or femaleness based upon a few traits. God doesn't do that. The image of God is just complete, like, like a man isn't somebody who grunts, right, and beats things with a club. And a woman isn't somebody who wears stiletto high heels. That's not, that doesn't define you. Those things aren't reality. They're just what the culture says. If you want to do them, okay, fine, whatever, right? But don't define yourself by those things, right? You don't have to look like them. You don't have to act like them. Kids, you don't have to be like them, right? You can be who you are, number one. Number two, you are no longer defined by what you say about you. Stop listening to yourself. You're a terrible, you give terrible advice. You, 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 you tell yourself ridiculous things. Because you don't allow the word of God to speak to you. You let you speak to you. And quite frankly, you're not inerrant. You're not infallible. You're not inspired. Your voice is just your voice that has had the world corrupt it over time. You have this sin clinging to you. And so your perception of what you think and what you say is skewed by all these other things that you've heard. So you can't listen to yourself. You have to listen to God. Number three, you are no longer defined by what other Christian people say about you. Don't listen to the voices in the church that are telling you things that do not come directly from God. You are not defined by what your brothers and sisters say about you. You're defined by what God says about you. So you can't let those things destroy you and crush you. So what is it then? You are defined by whose you are. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are one in Christ, then you are heirs to all the promises that God made to Abraham, which was before there ever was at all a Jew-Greek distinction. You ever notice that's what Paul's doing there, by the way? He's like, he, he goes back to the before Jew and Greek. Abraham was an idol worshiper. And he brings you back to the idol worshiper and says, oh yeah, look. So it's not Jacob, Israel, right? It's Abraham, the progenitor of them. There's still another generation, Isaac, before you get to Israel. So, yes, the offspring, but the reality is is, is that you're an heir to the promise that God made to Abraham. You don't have the liberty, okay, to make a distinction anymore. You are unified or you're united in Christ. And let's be honest, if we are dividing over things, we've completely forgotten who we are. If we as a body at CPC are dividing over things that are not core and essential, the truth of God, then we have amnesia as a body. And we as a body need to, well, start remembering. What what does this mean, right? It means that we are no longer defined by what we do 
We are no longer defined by who we are. We are defined by whose we are. We are defined by who we are united to Christ. We are who God says we are. And so moving on to verse chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, um, we see a warning to remember who we were. So now Paul is going to give us a warning, right? So Paul tells us who we, we are, who we were, who we are. He wants to give us now another reminder to help us remember. Basically, you aren't like a Roman child who had to wait until he grew up to get his inheritance. That's what he's saying. You are not under the control of a manager who's making sure you do the right thing at the right time. You don't have to fulfill the obligations of the law in order to be accepted. You're free, right? The law, you don't fulfill the law to be accepted. You do the law because you are accepted. Not to be accepted. You are free. You are no longer slaves to elementary principles. Now the Greeks, I think Paul's thinking here, might be thinking about how they viewed the basic elements that the world made up. So they thought, well, the world's made up by earth and wind and water and fire. And so then they would worship according to those governing elements, these basic elements of the world. And Paul says, you're not under that. But then he goes on, and he's basically talking to the Jews now, and he's saying to them, right, you aren't enslaved to elementary principles, and what you see throughout this whole passage of Galatians is you're not bound to times and dates and ceremonies and these type of things. And so for Paul, to the, he's, I think he's thinking about the Jewish calendar with its feasts, its festivals, its rites, which are all governed by the seasons and governed by the heavenly bodies, right? That's, when you talk about heavenly bodies and seasons and times, it's, it's, it's those festivals. It's all those things that they were required to do, the ceremonies that look to Christ. But you have Christ now. You're in Christ. You've been clothed with Christ. So you don't need those things. So Paul is telling us not to be bound by these elementary principles that tell us who we are and what we should do and when we should do it, but rather he wants us to be free in Jesus Christ. So, the last point, verses 4 to 7. Here's the power to remember. So you say, well, James, you, you've told me to remember, but I don't know how to remember. Well, I'm glad you asked because I'm going to tell you how. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. You see, the power to remember that we are not slaves to these fundamental principles of the world and of the laws that were given to make us see our need for Christ to, to come, are actually are all from the reality of what Christ did. Okay, So we must never forget that Christ came just at the right time. Like in the nick of time, Christ came. Right? He came at the time that the Father had predetermined the end of the ages, when all the time was completely full, ready to be born. It was full, like that idea has an idea of fullness or pregnant. It's like pregnant and ready to have a child, right? It's, it's all at the exact right time. And at this time, Jesus, the eternal Son of God, was sent by the Father. Stop for one moment. And don't allow a bunch of words to miss your heart. Who sent Jesus? The Father, right? 
But I thought he was angry and mean and Jesus was pacifying his wrath. Hmm. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Yes, justice had to be satisfied by Christ. But it's not like God was reluctant to send his son. He's like, I loved you and I'm sending my son. The father's not some big meanie in the clouds. He loved you that much that he would send his son. His son had to satisfy the wrath of God because of the evil that we've done. Right? But it's not some... some the, 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 listen, the father sent him. The father wanted you. It's not like Jesus is saying, well, okay, father, now that I did that, you've got to accept James. No. The father looked and said, I want James. Right? And gave Christ me. Right? You. The Father loves us. This is what Jesus does. Jesus tells you who you are. The Holy Spirit living in you tells us who you are. You're a child of God. And so you can cry out, Abba, Father, not, Oh, big meanie, thank you, Jesus, for satisfying that. That's blasphemous. That is a pagan idea that seeped its way into Christianity that speaks of the Father as just angry at us and somehow the Son is just like a referee. That's not the truth of the Bible. The Father sent the Son. The Father wanted you. So Jesus was born of a woman, born under the law, because he was born of the Virgin Mary, conceived by the Holy Spirit, and so without sin, with a true body and reasonable soul, he was obligated to keep and obey the law, and he was the only one who could do it. But he redeemed us. He bought us back. He allowed himself to be hung on a cross, taking our sin and our guilt and our shame upon himself. He bore the eternal wrath of God for our sin. He became a curse for us. He took our curse. And he did this so that we could be adopted and become the very children of God who now live to love and obey him. So listen to this. You have to say, well, okay, if he's adopted us, Right? You are his sons. You might receive adoption of sons. What is adoption? What is adoption? Adoption is a gracious act. You, know, you don't merit adoption. You don't earn it. Right? Like, it does, that's not the way it works. You don't deserve adoption. God is not compelled to adopt us just as he's not compelled to redeem us. That's the first thing. The second thing, adoption is a movement from legal acceptance justification to familial relation. You, you, you used to have a formal like relationship, but now you have a familial relationship. You're no different. I, I have four children. Three of my children are adopted. That is not, right, that one of them is better than the others. They all are my kids. I love them all. I don't think, oh, well, they're like lower on the scale. Like, you, that, you can't think that because it's not true. And so you aren't seen as subjects like a judge having exercised a verdict on, but you're seen as children. So oftentimes we talk about God as ju justifying us, and so we think of the gavel, right? The gavel banging down and saying not guilty. But the problem is if we stop there, we miss the next point, which is you're adopted. So now it's not a judge who's out to get you. It's a father who loves you. So you move from the relationship of a judge to a relationship of a father. 
finally, it's, you see here the third place, it is grounded in Christ's work. It's permanent. He paid such a great price for us. It wasn't just for us to be good citizens of his kingdom, but rather for us to be brought into relation, to be brought into sweet communion. If you think that somehow you're saved and somehow become a subject of God, like do this, do this, do this, you have completely missed the reality of the gospel. Because you are no longer a slave, you are a child. And if a child, then an heir. And an heir means you get everything. You're co-heirs with Christ who owns it all. And you are united in one body in Christ. And so all is yours in Christ Jesus. Now, what do we become? We're changed legally and relationally. Prior to our justification before God, we were sons of the first Adam, sons of rebellion. We were sons of the devil. We shared the traits of the devil. We were children of wrath because we were, were unrighteous. But through Christ, God adopts us. He brings us into his family through the work of Jesus Christ. He came and he sought us out, bringing us into his family. You see, God places his name on us. Listen, my name is James Pavlik, right? My family name is Pavlik. If you work that out, it's I am the son of John Pavlik. That's my father, right? I am part of John Pavlik's family. I share his traits. I act like him. You could ask my wife. I'm considered his son. He loved me. He cared for me. He prays for me. And he has put me in his will. So when God adopts us, he gives us his name. So upon adoption, my name is no longer just James Pavlik, son of John's Pavlik, John Pavlik. Actually, this is why Jesus talks about there is the, your family. He's like, who's my family, right? So now I am James Pavlik, son of God. So take your name, kids, if you trust in Christ, and say, daughter or son of God. That's what you are. I don't know about you, but I, hopefully your dad and your dad and mom protect you. Imagine if God protects you. Imagine you're his kid. And now he's looking out for you. God has placed his name on you. God has placed his name on me. I mean, isn't that a wow? So we are now said to be in relation to God. It's no longer about what you do. It's no longer about who you think you are, but it's about whose you are. James Pavlik, son of God. But if all this had, we had was just simply a declaration, we would have had, a, we'd have a really, honestly, a rough go at life, right? But we have more than that. We have been given the Holy Spirit. He has come down and made his home in our hearts. He is speaking to us. He is speaking for us. He says to God the Father, on our behalf, Abba, Papa, dearest father, dad, whatever you, however you want to use that. He makes God no longer an abstract concept or an idea. God himself lives in our hearts and tells our hearts 
that we really are children of God. Real, real children of God. Not half-breeds. The Spirit tells our spirit that we are God's children. Do you know what our problem is? We can't hear God. We can't hear the Holy Spirit. He speaks to us every day, but we aren't listening. We aren't listening. Our lives are too loud. And we're too busy that we can't hear him saying, you are a child of God. And hearing him say to us, I am a child of God. So the Holy Spirit is speaking on your behalf to the Father, recognizing the reality. And the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. When's the last time you heard him say and cry out, Abba, Father, in your heart? When's the last time you felt the warmth of the love of God towards you? Are you living in numbness because you're not listening to the Spirit in you? Here's a question. How can you create rhythms or practices in your life and create spaces in your life so you can hear the voice of the Holy Spirit saying, I am a child of God? In the Disney movie, The Lion King, when Simba's trying to figure out who he is, Rafiki finds Simba and says to him, you are Mufasa's boy. He then takes him to a place where he will get a vision. At a pool of water, Simba sees his reflection and gets a vision of his father. His father says to him, you have forgotten me. Simba says, how could I? His father says to him, you have forgotten who you are and so forgotten me. He continues, remember who you are. You are my son. Okay, I'm not talking about the theology of Disney or anything like that. I'm talking about the illustration. And I hope you can get past that little movie and look to the illustration. You've forgotten me because you've forgotten who you are. You're my son. You're my daughter, right? Have you forgotten that you're God's child? And because you've forgotten whose you are, you've forgotten the who that made you, the who that saved you. I want to challenge you this week to do something. Remember who you are by listening to the Holy Spirit speak through his word and prayer. Make space and time this week to allow the Spirit to speak to your heart. And allow your, the Spirit to say the word, Abba, which was so striking to the apostles that they decided not to translate it into Greek. You know that? That word Abba is a Hebrew word, basically, Aramaic. And that word um, was so striking because Jesus said it in the Garden of Gethsemane. And so it so struck them that they said, you know what, we're not even going to translate this thing. We're just going to transliterate it and put it into the Greek just as it is. That's how significant this was for them. Abba, dearest Father. So allow the Spirit to say that to you. Meditate this week on the reality of you being a child of God. And I promise 
it will change your life. So if you're asking me, how do you do that? Well, read Galatians chapter 3, 23 to 4 verse 7. And when you get to the place that says, Abba, Father, stop and listen. And listen to the voice of God. I was sending out a little um, thing that'll give you uh, ways to think about it and some other passages to look at it. I'll send that out. You'll get that. Um, I hope that today that you understand that the root of the tree system is your identity in Christ. Because without that, you will never produce fruit. Father, we're, we forget. We, we forget. I forget. We all forget. We're, we're, we're like kids who just have short-term memory loss and long-term memory loss. We, we forget everything. We need your help. We need your presence. We need your power. So would you please, oh Lord, Open our minds and hearts to the reality that we are children of God. And we ask these things because we are desperate. We need you. We are dependent upon you. And we pray this in Jesus' name.